2 Timothy, chapter 1, verses 3 to 12. 3 to 12, and I'll read it English, and then uh, Neba's going to read it all then through in Farsi for us. So 2 Tim, chapter 1, verse 3. I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, As without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Saviour, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason... I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Dovom Timotheus, fasle 1, ayah 3 ta 12. Timotheus va mahmuriyat u. Khodai ra ke man مانند اجدادم با وجدانی پاک خدمت می کنم. سپاس می گویم. همیشه وقتی که در شب و روز تو را رو در دعاهای خود به یاد می آورم خدا را شکر می کنم. وقتی که عشقهای تو را به یاد می آورم آرزو می کنم تو را ببینم تا به دیدار تو شادی من کامل گردد. ایمان، ایمان بیریای تو که به خاطر می آورم یعنی همان ایمانی که نخست مادر بزرگ تو لوئیس و مادرت افنیکی داشت و اکنون مطمئن هستم که در تو هم هست به این سبب در وقتی که تو را دستگذاری کردم عطیه خدا را به تو داده شد میخواهم این عطیه را به یاد تو بیاورم تا آن را همیشه شهلور نگاه داری زیرا روحی که به ما بخشیده است ما را ترسان نمی سازد بلکه روح او ما را از قدرت و محبت و خیشتنداری پر می کند پس از شهادت دادن به خداوند یا به رابطه خودت با من که به خاطر او زندانی هستم خجل نباش بلکه در رنج و زحمتی که به خاطر انجیل پیش می آید با آن قدرتی که خدا می بخشد سهیم باش خدا ما را نجات داد و به یک زندگی مقدس دعوت کرد و این در اثر کارهای ما نبود 
بلکه بر طبق نبشه خود خدا فیضی است که او از ازل در شخص مسیح عیسی به ما عطاف فرمود در حال حاضر این فیض به وسیله ظهور نجات دهنده ما مسیح عیسی آشکار شده است او مت را از میان برداشت و حیاتی فنا ناپذیر به وسیله انجیل برای همه آشکار ساخته است خدا مرا برگزید تا در انتشار انجیل واعظ، رسول و معلم باشم. به این دلیل تمام رنجها را متحمل میشوم. اما از آن خجل نیستم زیرا میدانم به چه کسی ایمان آورده ام و یقین دارم که او قادر است تا روز آخر آنچه را به من سپرده شد حفظ کند. Thank you. That language is amazing. Wonderful. I was trying to look out and listen for Eunice and Lois being mentioned, but I missed it. I don't know. But, uh, I want to go back to start with to Ephesians chapter 2. And I just want to read verse 8 and 9 again which is where we are looking in our series on a Sunday morning. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. <clears throat> For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We've been uh, looking at this letter to the Ephesian church and uh, been going through it in our morning services. After, after this morning's message, there's going to be quite a break until the new year uh, because of uh, various things. Uh, there's a brigade family service. We've got um, Christmas coming up as well and different uh, Advent, mes Advent messages. So rather than start a new section, I, I thought I'd just concentrate on one of the most wonderful themes that there is, that there, that there is in the whole world, I think. And that's the theme of the gospel, the gospel of Christ. And uh, the title this morning of my message is Not Ashamed of the Gospel of Christ. It seems to me that it, whatever adjective you use to describe the gospel, that adjective just doesn't do it justice. Incredible, astonishing, stupendous, amazing, whatever it is, staggering, stunning, whatever adjective you think of, superlative adjective, it just does not do justice to the gospel, the wonder of the gospel. That gospel has saved, deserving hell sinners from hell. It's brought us into a wonderful relationship with God, which isn't just a forgiven relationship, but it's one in which he embraces us as his children. And it's a gospel that has given us a power to live for Christ in this world. It's an incredible gospel. We have an incredible gospel to proclaim and it's a gospel message that God reconciles 
his worst enemies by that blame-taking death of his son on the cross to himself. And the wonderful thing is that all who believe, everybody, whoever believes in Christ, whatever background or culture or things they've done, whatever they've done before in their life, all who believe in Christ and put their trust in him are wonderfully saved. And that is a gospel. That is an amazing, wonderful, incredible gospel. So it's a message to have, and it's a message to share. And you would think, wouldn't you, that all who've experienced this gospel in their lives and welcomed into the family of God would naturally want to tell others about that so that they could experience what, what they've experienced, what we've experienced. And some do, but many Christians struggle. In fact, I think this area of witnessing and talking about our faith is where Christians feel that they let down God the most. Most feel failures in that area. Not, not in terms of what you call sins of commission, you know, where you do something wrong, but probably more in terms of sins of omission, where you don't do what you think you should do, you know you should do, what you know to be right. And how many of us have actually not said something when we thought we should have said something for Christ? Or not really stood up for what we have really could have done when it comes to bearing testimony to our faith? And I think it's this area that most of us need encouragement in. Most of us. Not guilt laying upon us, but encouragement and exhortation. And praise the God, we're not alone in this because Timothy needed help in this area. If you turn back to Timothy, if you're looking at in your Bibles, turn um, back to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1, I just want to read verse 8. Chapter 1, verse 8. Therefore, Timothy, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. So, Here's Paul, a great evangelist, encouraging his spiritual son, Timothy. Timothy is described as a young man, probably, I don't know, he might be young, could have been 30s, 40s. And he's saying to Timothy, Timothy, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, of the gospel, that's what he's talking about. Because here was, here was Timothy, a leader in the church who struggled in this area of standing up unashamedly for the gospel, but struggled because of his personality and his temperament. Timothy was not like Paul. Very different. You read through 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and you see a different person. And you see a person who is rather sensitive, bit timid in his natural 
sort of personality. Easily discouraged by criticism. Who isn't a strong personality in himself. Isn't a courageous person naturally. In fact, is very uncourageous in his natural person. And Paul says to him, don't be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. This, this period in which Paul wrote to Timothy, to, sec, second, to Timothy, second Timothy, it was a period of, of increasing persecution. If you know anything about that history period, Nero was the emperor. And he was beginning this onslaught on Christians, which was cruel and in which he would kill many Christians. In fact, Paul was in prison as a result of that. And Paul actually was never going to be freed again. He would be executed for being a follower of Jesus. If, if you just turn to 2 Timothy 4, this, Paul anticipated, he expected this to happen. 2 Timothy 4, verse 6. He says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure, that's my death, is at hand. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith, finally there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, but, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. See, Paul knew that he wouldn't be freed. There'd be no more missionary journeys. There'd be no more preaching the gospel in freedom and planting churches. He knew that he was going to be killed, executed, for following Jesus. And yet his passion to share the gospel was undimmed. It didn't waver. And he uses this farewell message to Timothy to urge him to be as strong as well in the gospel and not ashamed of the testimony of the Lord and not afraid to suffer for his faith and to share the gospel whatever the cost. We don't face persecution, do we? It's interesting, I was reading a prayer for the persecuted church and we have that prayer meeting on a Sunday morning and uh, I read articles about persecution uh, now I don't know if you know but in Russia um, this vast country where the uh, communist bloc seemed to have been dis uh, disappeared and, and broken down there was freedom they've introduced this law which forbids any sharing of the gospel even in the home um, under the guise of anti-terrorism laws now I'm not saying that could happen here, but actually, we don't know, do we, what could happen. But we have this wonderful freedom. Don't fear that. We don't fear the knock at the door. And uh, even there, even though we don't have that, we can still fear. Because what would stop me sharing about my faith with somebody? What would stop you... It's usually embarrassment, isn't it? Embarrassment. That sort of stigma of what people think about Christianity. 
And, and it can be just a fear of what people think about me, what they're going to say about me, fear of being made fun of, thought of as odd or strange. People might think less of us if they got to know that we were Christians, that sort of thing. And we do reason ourselves out of it. We say, well, they wouldn't be interested anyway. And that whatever we say, they'll, they'll, they'll be negative about it. And uh, I suppose as well, the old doubt comes in, well, I'm not sure whether I'll be able to answer any questions. And, and things like that come flooding in so often, just clam up our, our lips. I find Timothy a great encouragement. I understand from what Paul is saying that Timothy struggled in this area. As I say, he wasn't outgoing. He wasn't a confident sort of person. He didn't like, actually, confrontation. That's why Paul had to encourage him to be strong, preach the word, be instant in season. Don't give in to that. And so Paul says in chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The NIV says, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid. And there are some people, aren't there? You might be one of them, who are more fearful than others. That's by nature. Timothy was like that. Timid by nature. I actually don't think Timothy found it easy being a, a leader. Especially when that going got tough and, and rough and there were difficulties to face. There are many Christians like that. You know, just because someone becomes a Christian doesn't, and the Holy Spirit comes to live within them, it doesn't mean actually that your personality changes. Your, your, your temperament doesn't change. But the wonderful thing is, our makeup, our natural makeup, is not what matters. Because we all have the Holy Spirit, who is not the spirit of timidity, of fear, but is the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. Isn't it great? God is able to use all sorts of people in his service. And especially when you know, it comes to service, we think, well, that might not, that's naturally not me. But actually, that excuse of my weakness can actually be the reason why God can use me. The excuse that I use of, of a weakness can be the actual thing that causes me to really rely on God more. Now, I know there's a place where we have to guard against in Christian service of um, square pegs being in round holes, you know, so, sort of somebody singing in the choir who is tone deaf, that sort of thing. It, th th that's what we have to discourage, that sort of thing, and encourage people to do other things. But I do believe we so often would disqualify ourselves when we shouldn't. Because God actually can use our weakness. 
whether it's outside the church or inside the church. D.L. Moody, the great evangelist and preacher of the last century, said we may easily be too big for God to use, but never too small. God, God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And, and Paul said, most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities, my weakness, that the power of God may be manifest in me. So there are some things that I want to suggest that would help us not to be ashamed. In fact, to be able to stand up, simple things, to be able to stand up and, and be the person that God wants you to be and me to be, wherever God's placed us. And I'm very conscious in this. I, I'm, I'm preaching to myself here when I was preparing. I was thinking about this. I was thinking, I need this. This is what I, my, I need to be encouraged. I need to be exhorted. I don't find this a natural thing to be able to share with others. My faith, my stand-up like that, personality-wise, it goes against the grain. So I need this as well. Here's the first thing. First of all, preach the gospel to yourself often. Preach the gospel to yourself often. Remind yourself of the gospel. Remind yourself of what God has done for you. We need to remind ourselves often. We do that, don't we, when we share communion. We're reminding ourselves of the gospel, of what Christ has done. But what about other times? Remind yourself often of the reality of heaven and of hell. Remind yourself often that there are people with living souls who are facing a lost eternity without Christ and who will go to hell without Christ and face the eternal justice of God for their sin unless they come to Christ. Remind yourself often of that, that your friend, your neighbour, the person who lives next door to you, if they don't know Jesus, is going to hell without Christ. Your family members, your work colleagues, your college student, fellow students, whoever they are, they are without hope, without Christ. And remind yourself that God is a God of love who doesn't desire that any should perish and has provided the gospel of grace for everyone. That's what Paul reminded Timothy of to encourage him. Look at verse 9 who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. It's just reminding Timothy, it's a gospel of grace. You've been saved by grace, don't be ashamed of it, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Isn't it great when you come to Christ, it says, oh, the floodlights come on. That's, that's what he's saying, you know. God, look at verse 10. But it, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light. It's floodlit, the, 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 that fact that there is life in Christ. And death has been defeated. So if you ever feel in danger of accepting 
your lack of witness as the normal, preach the gospel to yourself. Do it often. Remind yourself every day of what God has done for you in Christ. Secondly, pray for people to be saved often. Pray for people to be saved often. In other words, pray often for people to be saved. For people you know to be saved. And pray that you might be used in answer to your prayers. Don't just think it's out there, it's somebody else's responsibility. So pray for people to be saved often, but that you might actually be the answer to your prayers. Pray for opportunities to witness, to speak out for Jesus. How often do you pray that prayer? How often do you pray for opportunities to witness, to be a witness? How often do you pray... I mean, really pray, really, really pray for souls to be saved and plead with God for their souls. Plead with God that he would open their eyes to the need of a saviour. How often do you pray that God will use you this day, this week? Pray often. I need to pray more often than I do. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 4. I'm going to read it in the NIV. Colossians uh, chapter 4 and verses 2 to 6. You see, Paul, the great evangelist Paul, he recognised that he needed prayer for this very act of sharing the gospel. So Colossians 4 verse 2, he says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too. Don't just pray for yourself, pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. So if, if Paul, you know, recognize his need of prayer for this aspect of sharing the gospel, how much more do you and I? And it's clear that he's asking us to pray about witness because look at the, what it goes on to say, verse 6. Oh, verse 5, let's start there. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation, that can be way of life, but it also refers to our words. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. The whole context is sharing our faith. Pray often that you might be used to share the gospel. I've, I've, heard in, I've heard teachers say, I, I might even have said this, um, or quoted words which are wrongly ascribed to Francis of Assisi. He never said this, but it's often said that he did. Something like this, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. You, you heard that? Preach the gospel, use words if necessary. But it, it's not quite right that as though words are sort of not really needed if, as long as you're living that life. 
No, that isn't biblical. That isn't scriptural. It's not one or the other. It's got to be both. So it's one thing living out our lives, and that is so important, and being... Living out a life that's consistent with your testimony, that is so vital. But words, we have to open our mouths. I have to do that. I have to be willing to talk my faith about my faith. You know, our our British culture says you mustn't impose your spiritual views too much on others. That's a matter of private, personal preference. You've got to win the right to preach, which usually means you've got to be at work for 40 years and then say something at your retirement due. Let let me just tell you this story. It's a true story of a man, Christian, telling his testimony. And his testimony was this, that he worked with an older man who was a Christian for years. And this older man, his, his conduct was exemplary. It was so good. It was full of a model of consistency. He was hardworking. He was always punctual, always polite, always honest, always gracious to people. And he was a Christian, but he never told anyone about his faith. And this younger man who observed his life later told his own conversion story of how he used to look up greatly to this man and respected him. And over a number of years, he heard from other people what it meant to be a Christian and how Christ could change his life, but he always thought about this other man and his life, and he thought that if this man could live like he did, then so could he. And he didn't need Christ, so he didn't become a Christian. Until, that is, the older man died and at his funeral the young man heard for the first time the secret of this man's life. And it all began to make sense. So for years, that Christian's life had actually prevented his colleague from becoming a Christian because he'd never shared his faith, never opened his mouth. He never told anybody that he was a Christian. Dr. Sidlow Baxter, in his book, Awake My Heart, writes this. It's just a phrase. He says, or a, 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 a sentence. He says, without vocal witness with our lips, the life, however beautiful, remains lifeless. However full and deep the river, what is its navigable use if, like the Arctic rivers, it is frozen at the mouth? There must be an overflow of heart which unlooses the tongue. I'm I'm sure you don't need reminding that there are only 48 days to Christmas. Christmas is coming, the geese are getting worried. Christmas (laughs) always brings great opportunities for the gospel. I think more so than any other time. And uh, we've got a program, we've already sorted it out a long time ago, our Christmas program, we've got some great opportunities coming. Events lined up and that sort of thing. So with that in mind, I've asked Mark Greenwood to come in a few weeks' time, before he speaks at a couple of our uh, Christmas services, to come and actually speak on a Sunday to encourage us to witness. 
to use the opportunities. But actually, now is the time to start thinking and praying about people who we would love to come and would like to invite to our guest services or events, whether it's the Boys and Girls Brigade um, nativity display and that sort of thing, or the 50 plus or whatever it is. Christmas is a great opportunity. I've been greatly encouraged about giving out invitations. I've got a, a good track record of inviting people who always say no to coming. I don't know what it is about me, but I've been really encouraged by reading a book by Ray Evans called Ready, Steady, Grow. Not cook. Ready, Steady, Grow. So it's a book about church growth. And it's in this area of, of, of inviting and giving invites. He refers to a survey in this, uh, quite an extensive survey that was carried out by a guy called Dave Bennett for a master's thesis on Christian conversion in the UK. And as, as part of this um, author's um, thesis, he carried out an in-depth survey of hundreds of people who became Christians in, in quite a narrow period, a seven-year period, between 1995 and 2002. Okay, so relatively recently. And they were asked, as part of the survey, what, was, what were the significant factors in their conversion? And it's really interesting, what the survey showed was that of the believers interviewed, 92% said that they had a friendship or at least some contact with a Christian before they were converted. 92% of this, it was a large number, hundreds and hundreds of people who were um, asked this, these questions. 86% said that that contact with a Christian had been significant in their conversion. And it is true, certainly in this country, that those who come to Christ, on the whole, many have friends or contacts, associates, are acquainted with other Christians. What was inter especially interesting to me was that 87% of those surveyed said that they had been given some kind of invitation to a Christian event, 87%. And that that was counted by them as being significant in them coming to Christ. One of the ladies who was interviewed in the survey was invited to a carol service by a friend for 15 years on the trot. And each time she said no. The 15th time she said yes and she was converted. That actually is encouraging to me because I've had 15 no's many a time. One of the findings of the survey was that even when people had said no to an invitation, they had actually appreciated being asked. You know, it, it, in other words, it was still a positive thing. A no wasn't a negative thing for them. It is to us, isn't it? We feel rejected. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you again then, in that case. But no, actually, the no was actually a positive thing, at least they'd made, been made contact with. Somebody had cared for them. Ray Evans says, don't let's, don't let's say people's no thanks for them on their behalf. And in any case, a no from someone isn't a problem. 
at least you've had contact with them and shown you care, rather than no contact at all. And based on this survey, Ray Evans in his book comments that many Christians think that they can only invite people once they've developed very deep friendships with them, maybe over years, when in fact, he says, it clearly doesn't need to be like that. He suggests that we should change the term friendship evangelism to acquaintanceship evangelism. In other words, he says you don't have to be best pals to invite somebody. Just someone you know. We can invite them. Do you know that the person that you already know is the most likely person to next become a Christian? If you've been praying for them. The person you know is most likely to become the next Christian if you've been praying for them. So it's a great opportunity this Christmas. And I want to encourage you to start thinking and praying now. Have at least, and even if you can't think of anybody, now's the time to start thinking and praying, Lord, would you help me to find somebody or to be burdened for someone that I can invite, I can be working towards two, three, maybe more people. Now, now's the time to start that. You know, you can go to neighbours, two or three doors either side of you, give them an invite to a carol service, not, not, a per, not just push through the letterbox, a personal invite. You know, the, you know their faces, hopefully. They know yours. Might be of no faith, might be of another faith. doesn't matter. A positive invite will go miles. Ray Evans says, if your children are still at school, you or your spouse can ask all the people you smile to at the gate. Some will say no, but maybe some will say yes. So let's start thinking, let's start praying, let's start working towards that. So, preach the gospel to yourself. Pray for people to be saved. Lastly, and, and short, this is a, a short point, provoke yourself. Provoke yourself often. In other words, stir yourself up. But P is alliteration, all right? Preach, pray, provoke. Stir yourself up. Paul said to Timothy, stir yourself, stir that gift up within you. In other words, Paul was saying to Timothy, look, there's there's something part of you that is dormant, that's dull, it's become dull. You need to stir it up, fan it up into flames. So he had a responsibility. I I have to take responsibility for my passion, or my lack of passion. It's not somebody else's fault, and I can't blame God. That's not God's, that I've got to take that. You've got to stir yourself up. Take responsibility. Stories told of a man who was employed by a duke and a duchess, and one day he was called in by the duchess to talk about his work. James, she said, how long have have you been working for us? About 30 years, your grace, he replied. She said, as I recall, you were employed to look after the dog. Yes, your grace, he said. James, that dog died 27 years ago. (laughs) Yes, your grace, said James. What would you like me to do now? (laughs) 
That's an example of someone whose passion's gone without drive, enthusiasm. If there's something that we should get excited about, it's sharing our faith. And I recognize that I need to stir that up in me. Often, I need to provoke myself. I need to say, come on, Philip. You've, left it, you've let it go down. You've, you haven't t- talked to someone for how long about your faith? You, this isn't right. You need to be on the ball. You need to be praying. You need to be looking for those opportunities. Not out of guilt. Don't, don't go away feeling guilt about this. But out of just joy and thankfulness for what God has done for us. I looked up the word passionate in various dictionaries. These are the words. Committed, determined, zealous, wholehearted, enthusiastic, energetic, excited, ardent, blazing, burning, heated, red hot. Don't turn to this, but you don't need to. Romans 12, 11. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. William Booth, founder of the Salvation Army, said, I like my religion like I like my tea, hot. We need to stir up our passion, our spiritual fervor. So preach the gospel often to yourself. So it grips you, it motivates you. Pray that people will be saved often. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And thirdly, will you provoke yourself often? Stir yourself up so that you will never be ashamed of the gospel. We're going to sing. The uh, band would come up. We're going to sing a song which sort of is a response to that in some ways. I'll put a reminder that we have a gospel to proclaim. The refrain of this song says, King of heaven, we will answer the call. We will follow, bringing hope to the world. Filled with passion, filled with power to proclaim salvation in Jesus' name. So let's pray that we would be men and women filled with passion. Uh, for the gospel and for Christ. Hear the call of the kingdom. Lift your eyes to the King.